You remember the movie, What About Bob? And if you haven't seen it, uh, Bill Murray plays this neurotic, phobic, obsessive, compulsive personality with many, many, many needs. Uh, maybe like some people you know. Uh, Bob has problems with breathing, problems swallowing, numb lips, fingernail sensitivity, pelvic discomfort. He wonders, what if my heart stops beating? And then he wonders, what if I'm looking for a bathroom and can't find one and my bladder explodes? He's just full of needs. And Richard Dreyfus is the therapist who is stuck caring for needy Bob. Your soul is Bob. Very, very needy. And you are Richard Dreyfus. You are the soul's keeper and responsible for its health. The whole crux of this series on the soul is what does a soul need? And your soul is the most important part of you. It's your CPU, the central processing unit of you. On Easter, we talked about how the soul needs an eternal future. It was made for eternity. God has set eternity in each one of us. Your dog doesn't think about the future. Your cat doesn't think about the future. They don't worry about it because animals are not made in the image of God, and we are. We need an eternal future. Then we talked about how the soul needs a keeper, and that keeper is you. You are responsible to uh, get into positions where it can uh, be cared for and nurtured. You can neglect it, or you can get it fed. See, the soul is kind of like a king on a chessboard. The, The king is the most limited of chess pieces. It can only move one square at a time. It is the most vulnerable but it is also the most important. And if you lose the king, the game is over. And you may have a great everything else, great mind, great body, great willpower, great attitude, great success, great family, but if you lose your soul, you lose the game. Patrick last week talked about the most basic need of the soul. The soul needs God. It was made for him and made to dwell in God. Psalm 63 says, You, God, my God, earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. That's your soul speaking. Psalm 143, I speak, spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched lamb. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart, my flesh cry out for the living God. You you can just hear the yearning and the angst there. The soul is needy. It, It needs, yearns for God. Now, we're limited in almost every way. We're limited in our strength and our energy. We're limited in our intelligence Sometimes I'm amazed at how stupid I am. And then I look at others. (laughs) One guy said, I was hoping for a battle of the wits, but you seem to be unarmed. (laughs) Anyway, we're limited in every way. Intellect, strength, energy, morality. We're limited in almost every way. Only one area where we're unlimited, and that is the area of desire. We always want more. Patrick touched on this a little bit last week. We want more time, more wisdom, more money, more enjoyment, just more of of whatever we like. And some would say this is actually the soul crying out. It never has enough. It's very needy, like Bob. Thomas Aquinas wrote that this neediness of the soul is a pointer to God. The soul is never satisfied until it finds its rest in God. So it needs an eternal future. It needs a keeper. It needs God. Two more needs today. It needs freedom. The soul wants to be free. It doesn't like slavery. One of the great things about America, and I think the reason we've been a pretty healthy country, is this concept of freedom. But what is surprising is the source of the freedom. In the Bible, there's a lot of connection between God's law and freedom, and we usually think of laws as restricting our freedom, but actually it gives it. James says, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, they will be blessed in what they do. The perfect law that gives 
freedom. God's law was intended not to force us to obey a list of rules, not to enslave us, to free our souls to live how they were intended to be. Psalm 19 says the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. Do you believe that? The law refreshes the soul. I was playing a game with my grandson Noah. He was about four at the time. He finally said, Grandpa, rules are boring. And he was frustrated because the rules would not let him do what he wanted to do. And that's what we generally think. Rules restrict us. Rules are not fun. But the Psalms several times speaks about delighting in the law, how refreshing it is. God's laws are good. So you can see God's word as a source of delight, or you can see it as, a, as an albatross and restrictive. It's like a budget. A budget can be seen as a slave driver and a burden, or it can be seen as a permission giver. A budget actually gives you freedom. But a lot of people think just the opposite. Financial freedom comes through some restrictions. So it's two kinds of freedom. There's freedom from, from external restraints, from somebody telling me what to do. But the other kind of freedom is freedom for, and that's the freedom for living the kind of life I was made to live, freedom for becoming the person I was made to be by God. And when our culture talks about freedom, most of the time it's talking about freedom from, from external restraints and to do what I want to do. Uh, for example, when someone turns 21, they then have the freedom to drink as much alcohol as they want, as long as they don't drive. Free. Is it good for the soul? Probably not. But you're free, freed from restrictions when you reach a certain age. What happens sometimes, people get to a point where they say, I need a drink. So that freedom starts looking more like slavery. Freedom is not the absence of restraint. Absence of restraint usually leads to another kind of slavery. I saw a phrase printed on a t-shirt, the red butterflies are free. And that is true, butterflies are free. They are free to be butterflies. But they are not free to fly to the moon, they are not free to be human, they are not free to be turtles or scorpions or skunks or anything else. They are free to be butterflies. And we are free in Jesus Christ, and we are free when we follow His ways and His commandments, but we are not free to do whatever we want. We are free to be what God intended us to be. Freedom is the opportunity to fulfill our potential to the glory of God. And the soul thrives on that kind of freedom. So God gave the law to Israel. Someone counted them once and came up with 613. And what God could have said is, here's the list of rules and you better obey them or else. I am God and I expect you to do exactly what I tell you to do. That's not what he says. He introduces the law in Exodus 20 by saying, I brought you out of Egypt. Out of the land of slavery, I am your liberator. I am your God, and I gave you freedom. And then he gives these Ten Commandments. And so the commandments are given within a relational context, not a rule-based context. It's kind of like marriage. In marriage, the wife might say, or the husband could say, Now, honey, here are Ten Commandments you have to obey for us to stay married. I asked Ellen, what would be the Ten Commandments of our marriage? You may ask that. You may not want to ask that, actually. But here's a... Here's a few rules you might have for your marriage. Pick up the socks. Put the toilet seat down. Remember our anniversary. Share the housework. Don't flirt with others. Do flirt with me. Take out the garbage on time. I mean, those are all okay rules. But is that what constitutes marriage? Rules? 
See, a law-based marriage does not work. And yet, there are some restrictions in any good marriage. There are some do's and don'ts. Because I love and I'm committed to this person, I have freedom to love him or her within some boundaries. Now, if you want to look at those boundaries as a slavery or a burden, you're just in trouble. Those boundaries give you freedom to love your spouse. And with God, there are certain do's and don'ts. And you can see them as slavery and say, well, this is what I have to do. But God intends to say, no, this is who you are. This is what you're intended to be. That's what these laws are about. You are my people, and this is what it means to be my people, and this is how you fulfill uh, to become what re- really, really means to be human. So this summer, we're going to look at each one of the Ten Commandments, how they free us to grow in our relationship to God and how it's good for the soul. Now, there's another way your freedom gets limited. There's an internal weakness or brokenness in each one of us. You may want to live with a cheerful, optimistic, positive attitude, but you just have a struggle with that. You may want to quit yelling at your kids, but you fail. You may want to control your temper, but you don't. You'd like to be less selfish and like to be more giving, but you're not free. You, you lack this inner freedom, which might be worse than external restraints. Now, remember, the soul integrates all our parts, and if the will is enslaved to our appetites, if our thoughts are obsessed with wrong desires, our emotions are slaves to our circumstances, and we're filled with negative habits, we're not going to be very free. So besides the law of God, which gives freedom, we also have the Spirit of God, which gives freedom. Jesus dwelling in us uh, to influence our thinking and to change our habits, to, to, to affect our will and change in our outlook on life, and all those start feeding the needy soul. So you are connected to God through the Holy Spirit living in you. So you have the law and the Spirit. The irony about freedom is to be free, you have to surrender. How's an alcoholic get free from alcohol? By surrendering to a higher power. How do I get free of that grudge? Or some inner slavery? How how do I get free of that anger? Or free to forgive someone? It starts with remembering you are already in Christ. Christ is in you. You are connected to him, and there is no greater power. You need to surrender. Just give it over to him. Feed on him. Live in him. Constant awareness of him. Let his word fill your mind daily, and he'll start working at you. See, the thing that threatens our soul the most is sin, disobedience. Romans 6 talks about two slaveries. Slave to righteousness or slave to sin? You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Notice you've already been set free. If you're a Christian, been baptized, sin's washed away, Jesus has conquered your sin, he now lives in you, he dwells in you, and you are now a slave of Christ, a slave of righteousness, and the more you live in that slavery, that submission, surrender to him, the more freedom you'll have in your, in your life. That's kind of the irony of it. We're all slaves to something. Something controls our lives. And the soul finds its freedom in submission to God. Second need of the soul, and this one's tough, needs rest. Yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Fatigue today, we know, is epidemic. Fatigue and tiredness are one of the unhealthiest parts of our society. It affects the immune system, muscle strength, it affects your skin, it affects mental health. You know, there's just a list that goes on and on and on of all the things that fatigue does. There's body fatigue, stay up too late, get up too early. By the way, we have prom kids here today. I'm impressed. Stay awake. If you don't, we're just glad you're here. But, uh, you know, we, 
we don't get enough sleep, so we have body fatigue. We have mind fatigue, bombarded by information all day at work, multiple screens clamoring for our attention, and we carry these mental lists of all these errands we got to do and bills not yet paid and emails not yet replied to, and the mind can get overloaded. And then there's fatigue of the will. We just have too many choices in this culture, too many decisions. There's actually a thing as choice, such a thing as choice fatigue, trying to decide which clothes make the best impression, which foods bring the most pleasure or the most health, which tasks to work on to bring the most success, which entertainment options will make me the most happy. And they all combine to lead to soul fatigue. One of the major spiritual giants of our day is Dallas Willard. And he was asked by a friend, you know, what do I need to do to be closer to God and have a healthy soul? And here's what he said. You must arrange your days so that you are experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. Notice you are responsible. You must arrange your days. You are responsible. And if you want different results, you need different habits and new patterns. Now, some of you might be thinking, yeah, right. You don't know my schedule. You don't know how tough it is. And, you know, or you might say, well, I'm trying. I know I need to have a quiet time. I know I need to read the Bible and do daily devotions. I'm doing the best I can to start each day with God. You know? And we feel guilty, and we're not really sure it does much good anyway, deep down. And Willard says, the problem is not the devotion time, the first 15 minutes of the day. It's the next 23 hours and 45 minutes of the day. He said, you must arrange your days, the whole day, so that you're experiencing contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. You must do this. John Ortberg says, hurry blocks the development and health of the soul because the soul requires being rooted in the presence of God. And hurry, by its nature, makes me unable to be fully present before God or fully present before other people. Hurry causes me to be conflicted and divided in my desires. There's nothing I can do that's rooted in the kingdom when my soul is hurried. So to sum it up, Dallas Willard said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry. We are the human race. The first commandment, the most important commandment is to love God. The second is to love people. And love always takes time. Time is the one thing that hurried people don't have. How can you love if you don't have time? Are you ever with someone and you sense he or she was trying to rush you? You feel loved? No. I've done it, by the way. I've always said when I'm rushed, I'm rude. And I'm rude quite a bit. It's a hurry sickness. Now, if you're like me, this is hard. How do you slow down with everything going on? I've got these kids and all this stuff. And by the way, teenage stress is off the charts. Go, go, go. Go, go, go. Pressure, pressure, pressure. Do this, do that. Soccer, lessons, volleyball, school, piano, dance, homework, prom, graduation, finding a college. It really looks like we think busyness is next to godliness. Busyness will save my child. Busyness will make my life better and my kids. How's that working for you? The good is often the enemy of the best. The urgent crowds out the important. And we neglect the most important part of us. Our rooks and knights and pawns and bishops are all making their moves, but the king is neglected and vulnerable. And you say, but I'm so busy, I can't help it. I get that. I have some days in my life, I cannot find time to go to the bathroom, literally. Too much information, I get it. I think I'd like to wear Depends some days. But anyway, we're busy. We're busy. And, and, but here's what I would say. 
you and I find time for what's important to us. We all do. We find time, if we think the body's important, to exercise it. Uh, uh, if the body gets sick, we go to the doctor because we're concerned about the body, and your body is important, but it is not the most important part of you. I know parents who have lots of kids, but they are still able to nurture the soul because it's important to them. Uh, maybe the best example is Jesus. Well, probably, <laughs> more likely. Jesus had more responsibility, had more stuff on his plate than any of us, and what did Jesus do to keep his soul healthy? Well, he did several things, but one was pray. Prayer has been shown to be very healthy in every way. Talk to God. He is your best friend. Take time for him, and he will speak to you and use that. Jesus had a close circle of friends, and he shared things with them. We underestimate the significance of friends in Jesus' life. He needed them, and your soul needs good friends, and I mean good friends, okay? He engaged in regular worship at the synagogue. Several times we see this in the Gospels. Every Sabbath, at least uh, once a week and probably more, he fed his mind with Scripture. And, of course, we see that throughout... One night, I was all stressed out, I something here at the church, I guess, and uh, it was Monday morning. And so I wake up at 2 a.m. I do this once in a while. I can't sleep. What do you do at 2 a.m.? <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Mr. Trump. Um, I think it'd be better if Mr. Trump read Scripture at 2 a.m. I found that that's what it feeds my soul. I figured, God, you're not letting me go back to sleep. I shouldn't blame God for that. But he, what am I going to do? Read Scripture. It does feed the soul. Jesus enjoyed God's creation, mountains, gardens, flowers, lakes. He took long walks. Just go on a walk. Not a run, a walk. Thank you, walk. You see the American flag. Thank you, God, for the United States. And pray for the leaders. You walk by the Family Life Center, and thank you for those who had the vision to build this. You walk in here, if you walk in here, you see these chairs there. Thank you, Lord, for these people who quietly, without fanfares, just set up these chairs every week. Gratitude, by the way, is a need of the soul. We won't talk about it, but it's a huge need. Jesus welcomed little children. He hugged them. He blessed them. Do you know how good a kid's hug is for your soul? If you're a grandparent, you do. He enjoyed partying with non-religious people. Now, some of you party too much. I think if Jesus were around today, he'd ride a bicycle. I have found that most godly people ride bicycles. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> There's three of us. Okay. Uh, take a hike with Jesus. Listen to stirring music with Jesus. See, the soul craves rest. It craves God but it needs time. And some of you are such a hurry, your soul is being strangled. And we'll talk more about this when we get to the Sabbath commandment this summer. And we're not talking about laziness. Okay? We're not talking about life of ease. We're not talking about going off on vacation all the time, although some vacations are good. Your mind was made to stretch and, and solve difficult issues. Your body was made to feel the exhilaration of physical challenge. The soul does not lead, need laziness. But it does need rest. Jesus was never in a hurry. And he was busier than any of us. I found this in a book, the difference between busy and being hurried. See, busyness is not a sin, necessarily. Busy is a full schedule, many activities. It's an outward condition, physically demanding. It reminds me I need God. Those aren't bad. But hurried is someone who's preoccupied, unable to be fully present. 
It's an inner condition of the soul, which is not good. Spiritually draining, cause me to be unavailable to God. You can be busy, but you don't have to be hurried. And I know it's tough. One preacher was telling at their church they had two weekends with two practices. The first weekend they had a weekend called doing something, and they just they shut down worship and they just went out in the community and did stuff, and uh, they were serving the community and serving. And then the second weekend, the next weekend was doing nothing, and that was a day they were just supposed to go on a retreat, go to a retreat center, devote themselves to refraining from busyness and noise, and just make space for God. And that's what God taught: work six days, rest. Work, rest. Work, 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 it'll kill you. It'll strangle your soul. Now, it's interesting. This preacher said that thousands of people signed up for the first weekend to do something, and about a tenth of that number signed up to do nothing. How well do you do nothing? Again, I'm not talking about laziness. Vegging out in front of the TV is not rest. Rest is time with the healer of the soul a time to heal relationships with your children or your spouse. It's a time uh, to be in God's world and enjoy it. One time the disciples returned from a mission and they reported all that they'd done and encountered and they were probably all jazzed up about what the next mission would be. You know, let's do some more. They're really motivated and they're on fire. You know, Jesus said to them, come to me by myself. Come to me with yourself. Come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. He invites us. Why don't we take advantage of that? Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that speak to your soul? Just give you a yearning? Psalm 23, you know this. In fact, say this with me. The Lord is my shepherd. He restores my soul. Notice he makes me lie down. You know, kids often don't want to go to bed at night. So what do you do? You make them lie down. You make them go to bed. Why? Because they need rest. Well, so does your soul. He makes me lie down because he loves me and he wants me to experience him. A few years ago, I went on a retreat to Wisconsin. In fact, it was right before I came here. I knew Mount Pulaski was going to be a huge challenge, so I just had to spend an hour, a week with God because I needed God's help. I'm just kidding on that. But anyway, I was on this spiritual retreat and in Wisconsin, which is God's country anyway, and it was required, required in this retreat to spend six to seven hours every day with God. Whoa. You know, I wasn't too sure about this. Read scripture, pray, other literature, meditate, no TV, no media, no newspaper, no computer, no cell phones, and no texting. And it was hard at first. It's easy to be busy, by the way. Busyness is laziness. It's easy to be busy. It's hard to stop and be with God. That week was one of the most relaxing, refreshing times of my life. Read, pray, and snooze. And then maybe ride a bike or go for a walk. Read, pray, and snooze. New perspective, refreshed. Doesn't that sound good? I, I, I was listening to a guy, he's talking about the Sabbath. And he used to, they keep the Sabbath. And he mentioned this to a bunch of grade school kids. Hey, kids, what would it be like? And he describes the Sabbath. And the kids, we would love that. Even your kids would benefit from it. And I don't want to make this sound easy because it's not, I don't want to sound like I've got it all mastered because I don't right now. I'm reading stuff on the Sabbath that's really convicting me. 
and, and making me wonder, how do you take a true Sabbath in today's world? Sundays are not good Sabbath for the preacher, by the way. I've got, I get a tired soul very often, but I also know there's things I do, and when I do them, and when I take the time and stop, it is refreshing. So you have to be aware of your soul's health. You are the keeper. Do things that refresh the soul. They may not be fun things or exciting things, but they are the good things. Both freedom and rest are acts of surrender, submitting my soul to his will, to his way, and I'll be free and become what I was made to be and rest in him when I surrender. Now, if you have your Bibles or your uh, uh, device, turn to Matthew 6, verse 25. Matthew 6, 25. Now, we're going to have part of it up here, but if you have it and can turn to it, it'd be better if you did that because I'm going to have you read this. And this is the, one of the scriptures I read 2 a.m. Sunday morning. And the reason I read this is because behind a lot of hurry in my life is worry. Worry makes me hurry. And this is what God said to me 2 a.m. on Monday, and this is what God wants to say to you. So what we're going to do today, right now, I want it to be very, very quiet in here for two minutes. Okay, babies, you can talk. But I want it quiet. No more, no texting. Okay, put your papers up, put your sermon notes down, whatever you're doing. No talking to your neighbor. Don't even look at them. You're either looking at the word or looking at the screen. It's between you and God. Now, again, if you can read the whole thing, Matthew 6, 25 through 34, that's great but otherwise you can just read this. I want you to read slowly and ponder it and you're going to be amazed at how long two minutes is. And it's just going to be quiet. Let me get my stopwatch going here. Read slowly. If you don't even get through all of it, that's fine. Just ponder. You can ponder each word, each phrase. Let them into your soul. So we're going to start right now. Two minutes.
Lord, I know today there are some weary souls here. They're just pooped. There's some here that are just spiritually empty. And there's others who have been enslaved by other things, enslaved maybe even to good things. Our souls need rest, they need freedom, our souls need you. And they find their rest and freedom in you. And I pray, and we all pray, that you will help us surrender. Help us live in you and for you. Fill us with your spirit as we worship and as we pray. Give us wisdom and courage to know how to slow down. Give us the strength to make some changes in our habits and patterns of life. To make room for you because our souls are thirsty. They're hungry.